This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. A number of years ago, my, my daughter, we have three children, uh, Matthew, who, who you see a lot of, uh, Christina is, is my daughter who lives in Tulsa, and then Michael, who works with our youth here in junior high, uh, and Nadia, his wife. So we, we've, got, we've got the kids here, and Christina, a number of years ago, moved to Tulsa, and we were taking her up to Tulsa, and something happened, we forgot something, and we were taking different vehicles, and I had to turn around, come back, go home, pick up some things, and then try to catch up with them, and, and I would meet them in Tulsa. On my way of catching up on I-45, there's this area between Corsicana and Dallas. <laughs> anybody ever had a conversation with anybody from up there? So I think around Palmer, Texas, everyone say, God bless Palmer. Uh, around Palmer, Texas, I saw a blue light in my, in my rear view. And so I, I, listen, there's no sense praying. I know some of you, that's the only praying you ever do is when you see that blue light, they're like, oh, please God, please God, please God, please God. If you, if you know you're guilty, just pull over. So I just, uh, I just pulled over, rolled my window down, crossed my hands on the steering wheel. The uh, law enforcement officer came and he approached the car and he said, uh, he said, sir, he said, you can, you can uncross your hands. I said, officer, I said, I have, a, I have a loaded weapon in the vehicle. He said, he said, sir, I've been in law enforcement for 35 years and I know a dangerous person and you're not a dangerous person. <laughs> I, I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or... or... So uh, I uncrossed my hands and handed him the, the license. And he asked me, he said, is, is this your vehicle? I said, well, it, I said, it actually belongs to the church. And he stopped riding and he looked at me. He said, are you a pastor? Now you're in my territory. I'm like, yes, sir, I am. <laughs> he said, a pastor that has a gun in the car. And before I can answer that, he said, well, he said, I guess the bad guys don't ask you if you're a pastor or not. I said, typically, no, sir, they don't. And so he, he closed up his, his book and he said, pastor, he said, there's a lot of us out between here and Dallas. Slow down. I don't want to see you get a ticket. I said, thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. <laughs> now, before you write me any notes or emails about, you know, as a man of God, I'm supposed to be willing to turn the other cheek. Uh, one, that's, that's a verse that's too often taken out of context. Two, it's a horrible strategy if you travel anywhere on I-10 late at night. And three, read Luke 22:36, where Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. And then his disciples said, his only in Texas would I get a hand clap like that. That's only, only here. But uh, actually the disciples said, sir, we, we have two swords here. He didn't, he didn't condemn them. He said, it's enough. So again, that's not the point of the message. The point of the message was I've been stopped numerous times more, I'm not bragging, but I have been stopped numerous, <laughs> numerous times. And, and I have actually gotten out of tickets much more than I've gotten tickets on about a three to one ratio. And uh, part of that is, I believe is my response to law enforcement officers. When they ask me, sir, do you know why I stopped you? 
I don't act like I'm, you know, no, I have no idea. I'm like, yes, sir, I was speeding. And uh, I can't tell you how many times just being honest has gotten me out. But it's my response to the law enforcement agents that, that helps. If, if you cop an attitude, you're gonna cop a ticket. <laughs> and so I, I don't get an attitude, very, very respectful and, and over and over response. So I wanna talk this morning about responding. I wanna talk about responding to God because our response matters. And um, I was thinking, when I was thinking of responses, for some reason, I began to think about all those guys who, who now, tape, now film their, um, their proposals. You know, and so you, you propose, everyone's got it on camera. Well, this started a few years ago. In fact, there was one that was done here in Houston. And I thought, you, thought you'd find this interesting. I really can't imagine uh, doing that. You know, that's that's under pressure, isn't it? Well, whatever you did work because you're still married. How many yeah. years? Forty years. Forty years. So I yeah. think people ought to be asking you well, how to do it. Well, I tell you, if I'd have did it that way, I wouldn't have got. She'd have probably need me while I'm down there. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm just waiting once for the for the gal to say no. Okay. And, yeah. Oh, you, know, uh, you know that would be. Because uh... she has to say yes. There. She may say no as soon as they walk off the court. Oh. Uh, I think she's saying, I can't do it right now. So I, I really do like you a lot, but uh, let's just be friends. Wow, look at this. Wow. Well, how do you like that? Well, I, you know, I was just joking when I said that. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> boy, that, uh, that uh, young man... Uh, Probably, probably get over it in uh, 10, 12 years or so. It's tough, isn't it? That's a bad response. I can't leave you like that. Here, here's the response you got to get. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Will you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Isn't that better? <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, now, and I'll be honest with you, millennials, if, if you don't film an event, did it ever happen? <laughs> but if, if you're going to do it, you might want to be sure of the response ahead of time, because that, that can be so, so embarrassing. But uh, responses matter. How about responding to, uh, to problems and challenges, how you respond when you hear things? How do you respond to that? I think for parents, that's always a good thing to do, help your children learn to respond, because they're gonna have to face problems all through life. So how they respond to these problems is something that you can coach them through and help them learn to respond in strength, not to fall apart, but to respond in strength. And then responding to correction. How do you respond when something is corrective? I, I hear people talk now about finding a mentor, and I, I really think that's very helpful. Mentors are good. One of, the challenge, one of the challenges with mentors is a good mentor will not only affirm you, they will correct you. 
And the ones that will correct you are the ones actually who can help you most with your effectiveness. And so how you respond to correction is important. Our response matters. It matters in the proposal. It matters handling challenges. It, it matters when things come our way that are difficult. But how about how we respond to the Lord? How do we respond to him? Revelations 3.20, Jesus is speaking. And he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is speaking here. I love the fact that it says, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't say I knocked the door down. Didn't say I just open it and come in. He knocks and it's up to us to respond. And the response is he wants to have a relationship with us. Not just, not just be an observer in our life or, or be a, an add-on in our life. He wants to have a relationship. And so how we respond to him when he's knocking you say, well, I don't know the Lord's ever knocked. No, if you think about it, there are different times in your life when you sense that the Lord was wanting an avenue into you, a response from you. Many of you know my story, but when I, uh, I, I met the Lord when I was 18, filled with the Spirit, and just had a powerful experience with the Lord. I was selling books. When I came back to college, I fell away. And when I graduated from college and moved down to Clear Lake City, I'd been in Clear Lake just a few months. In fact, it was October of 1981, when I met a young lady by the pool who was only visiting her sister for a couple of weeks, and it was Joy. I love to tell her she hates this, but when I saw Joy, she had this long, wild, curly hair, and she was wearing her sister's leopard print bikini, <laughs> which caught my attention. And uh, remember, I'm away from the Lord, right? We, we established that. And uh, I began to talk to her, Asked her out on a date. She said, much to her surprise, she agreed. We went out. And I knew she's only, only, only visiting for a couple of, of, of weeks, but I knew I, I'd found somebody special here. And I remember I took a Friday off. We went to Clear Lake Park. Of Bay, I think it's called Bay Area Park. And we're sitting out looking over the lake. And I looked at her and I said, hey, do you think you and I have any future together? She smiled, that, that beautiful joy smile. She said, no. <laughs> she said no she said, she said the man I marry is going to be the spiritual head of my house and I remember when she said that I remember my I, I did something that it's in the, in the guidebook of conduct you never do but I, I just began to weep and I couldn't explain it it wasn't a it was almost like there was an out of body experience I'm sitting there and, and I begin to weep and I finally looked at her and said I'm, I'm taking you back to your sister's apartment and when I took her back to her apartment, I went to mine and I fell all over the bed and I sensed it was the Lord knocking. He'd been knocking on my life for years. And I finally said, Lord, I said, I'm tired of running. I'm yours. It was 40 years ago. And I've been his ever since. But he'll knock. And here's the beautiful thing. He, he was knocking on a young man who wasn't trying to serve God, who wasn't trying to do anything. I got, man, I have such confidence. God can reach your loved ones. He can reach your unsaved loved ones. He's got a lot of different ways. He sent a little Italian girl from Miami, Florida on her way back from California to Clear Lake City to meet, reach somebody who was away from him and he can reach your loved ones right wherever they are. He can reach them, but he's knocking. And it's up to us to respond. In the Bible, there's a young man by the name of Jacob. Jacob is, if you, if you know in Biblical, you hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're called the patriarchs. And there's Abraham, there's Isaac, and there's Jacob. 
Jacob was a, a young man. He had a twin brother. They didn't get along. Jacob pretty much just tricked him out of his, his blessing. The brother was so angry that he, he made a vow that when his father died that he was going to kill Jacob. So Jacob's mom heard about it and they sent Jacob away. Jacob is now in effect running for his life, going to a relative's and he has this encounter with God. How he responds is key. Let's watch. Right. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he lay down at that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there were angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and east, to the north and south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took a stone that he had put in his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it, on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat, clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Jacob was a young man who was alone and afraid. It's not like he was traveling from here to Austin with nice roads. He's walking by himself at night. He's alone and afraid. You, sometimes you wonder, why does God speak to people in these times? I think sometimes when we feel vulnerable is one of the only times that we listen. And Jacob laid down, he put his head on a, on a, he didn't have anything to lay on, he had just put his head on a stone and went to sleep, but he had this dream. And in the dream, he saw a ladder with angels going up and, and coming down, indicating there was activity between heaven and earth. And God was standing at the top of the ladder and God began to make Jacob some promises. And he made him some wonderful promises. In fact, he made him big promises. He said, I'm going to give you all this land that you're lying on. You look at the north and the south and the east and the west. He said, and your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. These are huge promises. And that, and that God said, he said, and you, he said, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And that's big. And then God gives to what I would call practical promises. Where he made these practical promises and I'll be with you and I'll protect you. And I'm going to bring you back to the land, your father's house. So he, he made him big promises, practical promises. I think it's very interesting that Jacob really connected more. He never even mentions the big promises. He connected on, on the practical ones. And Jacob woke up in the morning and he said, he said, God's in this place. I didn't even know it. And he, and he made a, he built an altar there. He took that stone that he'd sleep in and, and he made, he poured oil on top of it, indicating he, he's sanctifying it or separating it to be an altar to God. So he made an altar to God. And then he, and then he began to, to tell the Lord, he said, Lord, he said, uh, if, you'll, if you'll take care of me, if you, if you give me food to eat and clothing, and if you'll bring me back to my father's house. Remember, he left. He left everything he was familiar with. He said, if you bring me back, 
He said, then God will be my God. And when the first time I, I read that, I thought, well, is, is he bargaining with God? I don't think he's bargaining with God. I think Jacob is going through what, what I would call a transition. Because God had always been, in fact, he, he, he called himself the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But he'd never been Jacob's God. But now Jacob's making that transition. He's not granddad's God and he's not daddy's God. He's my God. Parents, let me, let, me, let me share with you. I think it's so wonderful. I love what Dwayne shared this morning about how his grandparents and then his parents and then him and how generations have been impacted. But every generation has to come to this. It can't be granddaddy's God and it can't be mom and daddy's God. You have to come to the place where it becomes your God. And, it, and you were, listen, parents, so, so often you have to understand that even though you raise your children in a Christian home, what's so important is you begin to talk to them early. It's, he's not just mom and dad's God. He can be your God. He can hear your prayers. He can minister to you. He's got a plan for your life. Your God. Jacob said, he's going to be my God because he's my God. And then he said this, he said, if you'll do this for me, he said, everything you give me, he said, I'll give you a 10th. And right here we see, we say, where did, where did Jacob even learn that? He actually learned it from Abraham, his grandfather, who was the very first person to ever give a tenth of all his increase to Melchizedek, early, early chapters, if you'll read that. And you see that, that Abraham gave a tenth and that Jacob gave a tenth. And this was before the, this was before the law ever came into being. And Jacob said, I, I'm acknowledging you, God, as my source. I'm acknowledging you as my unlimited source. You're my source and my supply. Jacob responded well. He could have woken up and gone, whew, what kind of dream was that? But he acknowledged God, acknowledged God's presence. God's here. I didn't even know it. He's here. As I, as I think about Jacob's response, I think we can often respond to God the very same way. You know, we first begin to connect with God on the basis of his promises. His promises to us. One of probably the greatest promise to us is found in Romans 10, 9, that said, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. That is the, that's a promise. That's a wonderful promise. So many of us have, have received that promise. So many of us have prayed or maybe in here or somewhere else or someone reached you where you said, Jesus, I believe that you're my Lord. I confess you as the Lord of my life and you were changed. You were changed from an old creation to a new creation. You walked out of darkness into a marvelous light because God's promises became real to you. And here's the good news. The promises don't stop there. In 2 Peter, Peter was writing to the church. He said, and because of his glory and excellence, God's glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. Share the divine nature. That's how we became his children. It's one of his great and precious promises, but I am so glad that the promises don't stop there. Because the promises of God now include being filled with his spirit. The promises of God now include healing for your body. The promises of God now include provision for your life and protection for your life and wisdom for your life and strength for your life. And the promises of God are big and they're promises that we can stand on and we can still connect with God on the basis of those promises. And so you say, people will come sometimes and say, Alan, I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about this. Or I'm concerned about this. Would you pray with me? And I'm thinking, what's the promise? And here's a, here's a church term. What's the promise that you're standing on? There needs to be promises in our lives that we find that talk to us about things we need. I, I can tell you one we all need right now is wisdom. 
Anybody got anything they're dealing with that you're kind of scratching your head about going, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I'm the only one. Okay, so just indul- <laughs> in, in, indulge me just for a second. I'm so glad there's a promise because when I face things I don't know, thank God I'm not left to my own resources. But the Bible said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. That's a promise. And we can begin to stand on those promises. That's how we connect with God is on the basis of his promises. But there's the promises that we can find in his word. And then there's the promises that he whispers to our heart. See, when, when Jesus said, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and dine with you. That's our relationship. That's not just a casual observer. That's not just an objective third party who's standing aside watching your life. This is someone who wants to have a relationship with you. And in that relationship, he can whisper promises to your heart that really deal with your future. You say, well, I'm not a good enough Christian. You'll be surprised at how merciful God is and how much he wants to reach you. When I went to, I shared when I was 19, I made a decision for the Lord. When I got back in college, I fell away. I was living pretty wild. And one morning after a party, I was a senior in college. I was getting ready to graduate. I was about to, to step out. I had a job. I was about to step out. It actually was the job that got me here. And one morning I woke up. It was after a, a party. And I woke up. It was just an unusual morning. I woke up. My head was clear. And I sat down, and for some reason, I I can't tell you why, I can't explain the theology behind it. But I sat down, and I I just, and these words just put, and and I wrote, I've got plans for your life when you decide to live them. I've got riches and wisdom, and I'm just waiting to give them. So when you yield to my will and let me determine what's best, then your life will abound with love, joy, and rest. Love God. I wrote those words down and I, I looked at them and went, whoa. I went and read them to my roommate. He was a believer. He looked at me, he said, Alan, have you been smoking something? I said, I have not been smoking anything. <laughs> and I realized that, that those words were words from a loving God who's knocking, trying to get hold of a young man who had left him, but God still had a plan. And God still desiring to reach him. And I remember, I I kept that poem. I still remember that poem. That's a promise that God whispered to my heart. Just a few months later, love and joy will come into my life. (laughs) And God's been good. He's fulfilled his promises. Will he do that for you? Absolutely. He's got plans for your life when you decide to live them. He's got riches and wisdom. He's waiting to give them. And when you yield to his will and let him determine what's best, then your life will abound with love, not my joy, his joy and rest (laughs) because he loves you. We connect with God on the basis of his promises. Well, this is what God's done for us. Guys, we talk a lot about what God's done for us and we need to. But in responding to God, here's my question this morning. What can we do for him? See, a lot of times we talk, God, God, do this, God, do this, God, do this. How many of you have friends that every time they call you, you know they want something? You see their name come up and you're like, uh, what do they want now? Don't just stare straight. If they're here, don't look at them. Just stare straight ahead. 
How many of you know that, don't you appreciate those friends that when they call you, they just want to have fellowship with you or talk to you, or they actually have something good for you. It's not a one-way relationship. Yes. Well, our relationship with God is not intended to be one way. Not just what God can do for me. What can I do for him? How can I bless him? How can I honor him? Say, well, Alan, I have no idea. How can I do that? One of the ways you can honor God is with your giving. Proverbs, third chapter. Honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord. Do you realize you can honor the Lord just like Jacob did? Jacob said, God, everything you give me, I'll give you a tenth. Honoring the Lord with the first fruits basically means the tithe. It's the first 10%. And one of the ways that you can honor God is with your tithes. And as you can give him your tithes. So Alan, I can, I can barely make it on 100%. How, what in the world am I going to do with 90? I'm, I'm going to just tell you something. And this is not my promise. This is God's promise. You can, God's blessings on your 90 can go a whole lot farther than without his blessings on 100%. And you can see, you can see his blessings there. But, but, but the biggest thing is don't, is don't miss it. God, this is something I can do for you. I can honor you and I'm acknowledging you as the source in my life. You're my source. He's one source, many channels, but he's my source. We can honor God with our giving. I just tell you this as a church, over, ten, over 10% of everything that comes into the ark goes out. It goes into missions, it goes into ministries, it goes out, everything. Joy and I have done this for years. And it's just one of the ways, as a church we honor God, as a family we honor God, as an individual you can honor God. You can honor God with your giving. Another thing you can begin to honor God with is that you can begin to build a dedicated space for God. A space for God where you begin to say, you know, Jacob built an altar. We don't build physical altars anymore, but in your heart, you have a place that says, God, I honor you and I worship you and you are my God. And this is, again, not something God can do for us. This is something we can do for him. The scriptures actually say that God seeks such to worship him. So he is looking for those who will worship him and honor him. And we can build a place like that in our heart and it'll make a difference in our life. I read a quote the other day I thought it was powerful said, if we commune, have fellowship with God, worship, spend time with him. If we, have, if we commune with God when the sun is shining, you'll find it's a lot easier to sing in the rain. When you're worshiping him, when you have a relationship, you're saying, God, I'm acknowledging you. You've been so good to me. You're the one that saved me. You're the one who's touched me. You've healed me. You've helped me. You've done so many things in my life. I want to honor you with my life. I honor you, God. I want to, I want to be a blessing to you. And that's a powerful thing. And then we begin to say, God, I begin to acknowledge that you're real, that your presence is real. You know, Jacob woke up and he said, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. That means the house of God. I was reading that and I thought, man, that's, that's so cool. Wouldn't you like to have a dream and you could have a place that you could call the house of God? But then I thought, we've got something so much better than a dream. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God lives in you? We are the house of God. If you made Jesus your Lord, we don't have to go to the house. This is not the house of God. It's a dedicated building for him, but you are the house of God. God lives in you. His presence is in you. I want to be able to live my life and say, God, you are in me and I knew it all the time. I'm going to act like you're there and I'm going to act like you're real. And when we begin to do that, it makes the reality of him. It makes the reality of God, but it honors him 
He says, Father, I know that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom I have of you, and I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I glorify you in my body and in my spirit. They belong to you. You're honoring God. Not just what he can do for us. What can we do for him? True story. Chicago in the 20s and 30s, there was a family in a church. A pastor shares this story. Family in a church. Uh, a father died early and left one son and a mom. And they grew up really close. This was the days before television. So in the evenings, people would sit around a lot of times and listen to the radio or they would, they would read to one another. And this mother and son, and they shared, they loved music and they would listen to the radio at night and, or they would read passages to one another. They grew up very, very close. In the 20s, in his 20s, the young man met a girl at church and wanted to marry her. But housing, this was getting close to World War II and housing was scarce in Chicago. So the mother said this. She said, tell you what, son. She said, we, we, we have a two-story home. She said, I'll make the top story my apartment, and you and your bride can live on the first story. She said, the only thing I asked, one thing. She said, that we could still have some time together, the music and, and the reading. We could still have some time together because that means so much. And, and, and the, the son looked at his mom. He said, absolutely, mom. He said, it means so much to me, too. He got married, moved into the bottom floor, and... Uh, Two or three times a week, he would go up and sit with his mom. They would listen to the radio. They would listen to music. But then he got busy. Life, marriage, busy. And, and the, it went from, you know, from two or three times a week to once a week to weeks. With nothing more than a brief call up or a wave or a glance. On her birthday, the young man brought his mom a, a beautifully wrapped box and she opened it up and it was a dress and uh, she said thank you son I appreciate what you've done for me he said mom I can tell you don't like it she said no no I, I, I like it it's a beautiful dress he said mom I know you I've got the slip here we can return it I can tell you don't like it and she said no no it's a lovely dress it's my color he said mom I know you too well you don't like it what's wrong the mother got up and she walked over and she opened her, her closet. She said, son, she said, I got enough dresses to last me for the rest of my life. She said, I don't want your dress. She said, I want you. Life gets busy. It's so easy just to, to get caught up in all the things that are going on. But there's someone who's knocking. He doesn't just want a, a, a wave or a glance. He wants you. And he wants your response to be not like, the, like that, the first lady we saw, but like the second lady. Yes. Yes. Because he's got plans and they're good. Would you bow your head for a moment? Heavenly Father, thank you for those who are here and those who are watching online. Thank you that you love each and every one. You have a marvelous plan for each and every one. And that as you continue to knock as you are today, knocking, knocking, wanting more of them, more of their life, more of their fellowship. But you have, you're such a rewarder. It's never one-sided with you. Thank you for your goodness. 
Saints are bowed and eyes are closed. If you came today and said, Alan, I, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure. Or, or maybe you're thinking, I used to, man, I'm, I can relate to you. I used to have a relationship with God and I've gotten so far away from him. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up or come down to the front, but sitting right in your chair, right where you are. It's an opportunity as the Lord knocks for you to open the door and say yes. Yes to him coming into your life for the very first time or maybe yes to him coming back in. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to and you say, Alan, I, that's me, it's me. I, I want to be in on this prayer. Would you pray for me? Would just quickly slip your hand up across the auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Great. Thank you. you put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to and you thought, oh man, I, I missed my chance. You didn't miss your chance. This is a heart prayer. We're going to jump in on this. And this is how you can jump in. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. So pray this out loud. If you're watching online, you can pray it. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with other people, pray it quietly. But you can pray this prayer with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, that's still bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer right from their hearts. Father, what a powerful thing. Those who've walked out of spiritual darkness into the light and for those who've come back home. Father, thank you. They've answered the knock and you've come in. What a wonderful promise. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.